Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty continues our series on the Apostle Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And now, here's Trevor. Good morning. So I have a question this morning. Is How are you regarded... And does it matter to you how you are regarded? Through the decades, our attitudes changed. From hippies to punks to gangsters to metalheads to uh, whichever way you were, if you were Beatles and bell bottoms, it's uh, we all wanted to be regarded as something. Um, we want that association. Um, so Paul starts off his this chapter four with this line, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. This is the foundation of this chapter, but it's also, I would argue, should be the foundation of our lives, that we should be regarded as servants of Christ. So how do the people around us regard us? It does not matter how we regard ourselves. How do those around us regard us? The, the thing is, we may believe we are Christians, but we regard ourselves as Christians. And to people, when they hear us say that, they may be actually shocked. And, but we want it to be a natural thing that when people see us, they regard us as servants of Christ as Christians, and they should be able to identify that without a word being spoken. And it should be clear. So this is foundational to our faith. So what weight does your faith have if those around you cannot see and regard you as a Christian? Once more, what can God actually trust us with? Can God trust us with the mysteries of God or to be stewards of anything if we have missed this point? Stewards must be trustworthy for this very reason. You are being trusted with the mysteries of God. Now, first off, what are the mysteries of God? Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 explains it like this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mysteries uh, was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, it has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone 
what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that has realized um, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness to access with confidence through faith in him, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching his disciples about these mysteries. And the way that Jesus attacked that and, and, and targeted that teaching was through the parables in a, lot of, in a lot of instances, so that they might understand these mysteries. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew 13. In uh, picking it up in verse 10 through to uh, 10 to 17. The disciples came up and asked, Why do you tell stories? He replied, You have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and the understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward a welcome awakening. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. They can uh, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you do not hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you do not see a thing. The people are stupid. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let them, uh, and let me heal them. But you have God-blessed eyes, eyes that see, and God-blessed ears, ears that hear. A lot of people, prophets, and humble believers among them would have given anything to see what you are seeing, to hear what you are hearing, but never had a chance. So that, so if you look through the, the parables, God unlocks a lot of about what the mysteries are. So uh, the the key for us is the mysteries are not mysterious. There's a difference there. It's it is attainable. It is graspable. It is teachable, and it is for us, as it was for them. And it's very real and accessible truth that the hearts of the followers who invite him in all have access to. Uh, some of these mysteries were revealed in the New Testament, that they were myst- mysterious in the old, revealed in the new. Some were just really simple facts that once you believe in God, that you are enlightened to, that you understand, that you uh, walk by every day. But if you don't know who God is, you don't give God the glory, you don't give God the credit. And these mysteries are revealed once you understand who God is and who the Creator is and that all these things were done by God for a purpose. And God is willing that all can see and access these mysteries. But the blind stay blind and the deaf remain deaf by a choice. I'll repeat that again. The blind stay blind and the deaf remain deaf by their own choice. Now, we are the stewards of these mysteries. 
So what are we to do with them? It, it is as servants of Christ, we are, uh, we are told we must be trustworthy. No one will ever believe us if our lives do not line up to what we speak. We will be written off in a heartbeat and God will not uh, be given glory by what we do and say when our lives don't line up. Unfortunately, in the global church, everywhere, hypocrisy is alive and well. And that must be addressed. You might feel that you're in a place where reading the Bible and anything on the mysteries or anything is just confusing, it is distant, it is far reached from your personal reality or understanding. But don't lose heart and don't give up. Dig deeper and get real. Get real with God and He will reveal to you. So how do we ever expect that people will look at us and regard us as servants of Christ? I would obviously agree that we must prove ourselves trustworthy so that we can be trusted by God to preach, to outreach, to uh, carry out his mission here on earth. When we get the order correct, when we get things in our lives in, in line, we are and we have our minds and our hearts ready and wanting for the church to grow, for ourselves personally to grow. Uh, and we desire that with all genuineness in God, it will come. If it is not coming, whether corporately or individually, I would say that clearly repentance is probably required, that something isn't correct. We need to dig deep, get to the basics, and find ourselves in Christ and be servants of Christ. So who judges our trustworthiness? Paul in chapter, in, in this chapter, in verses, uh, three through five, says it this way. But with me it is a very r small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring light to the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. I'm not sure if you caught verse 4. But it, I'll read it one more time. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore acquitted. It is completely within human nature that we do not see our own flaws, our own weaknesses, and unfortunately, we notice everybody else's. And we spend way too much time looking around us and not within us. And the, the judgment here spoken of I believe is a 
the spiritual judgment, the final judgment. The um, and that is, do not ever step in and say that I'm going to do God's job and judge others on that spiritual standing. That is not our job. However, God makes it clear through the Bible, through setting up of leaders, and through um, the way that the church was designed, is that wisdom is to be used. Judgment is to be used. But it's a different type of judgment. The judgment that we are to use is judgment to protect the church. It is judgment to put proper people in proper places to do the work of God. If we do not use wisdom in these areas, the church will collapse. If we fill these places with people who do not have spiritual fruit, do not have God in them, and are doing it for whatever reason, um, that is not what God, that is not what this chapter is saying. This is not what God says through the book at all. It says to, so there is a type of a judgment that is a different type of a judgment that is for God and God alone. There is a type of a judgment that is for the people of the church to guide the church and protect the church from wolves in sheep's clothing that may be within. That is all part of the trustworthiness of the gospel, of trustworthiness of being entrusted with this mission. Too many Christians are afraid to to challenge people, to ask the questions, to make the decisions, to do the different things, uh, for they are afraid of judging. However, I would challenge people. If you do not ever take this approach, if you do not ever challenge people with where they are, are you not just leaving them stuck in the, in the mud just off the path of the Christian pilgrimage journey that we are to be on and to not give them that harsh nudge that they might require to get back onto the path, to get right with God, to be there? If we do not speak truth into people's lives, too many people sit, are stuck on the side of the paths and we just walk past and we wonder where the unhealth arises. Care enough for people to speak truth in their lives. Care enough for the church to speak truth into their lives and to bring salvation to people through all these things. And who gives salvation? That is Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ was not shy to tell people of their states. And are we not to be imitators of him? So love people enough to speak truth to them. Grow individuals to grow the church. However, do not elevate individuals. Look around at the church worldwide and has, and how that has turned out. Uh, Paul and Apollos dealt with this in a very real way. They were, as Carrie touched on last week in verse, uh, chapter three, that, um, that they battled that with people trying to elevate them higher than they should be. Um, but in this world, we naturally drift towards new, flashy, hip, cool, and happening types of leaders and people. 
uh, new ways of doing things, and uh, you know any descriptive word you want to follow or do, say in there. But the one thing that it all circles back to is that, um, unfortunately, in the way things are happening right now in the, the global church, is that um, we all tend to follow these individuals who have been put on pedestals, who have been elevated. Um, and whether we, we intend to or not, I believe it's happened to all of us. It has absolutely happened to me. Um, and, you know, I am absolutely sick of it. Sick of it. We have one person to follow. That is Christ Jesus. Any pastor, leader, teacher, musician, on and on and on, that is in your path, that does not put all the glory to Jesus Christ and is not doing what they should be doing. And that is the tr bold truth. It is not about an individual. It is not about following a movement. It is not about following any sort of fancy talk that makes you believe that you can follow this person, attach to this person. It is not about the person. It is not about man. So maybe we need to take out some sledgehammers and knock down some pedestals. Put people back down where they should be and elevate God to where he needs to be. In verses 6 to 7, it says, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may not learn by us not to go, or sorry, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What have, sorry, what do you have that you did not receive? And then all, or if then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Give God all the glory all the time. Tear down any spotlight that anybody tries to put on an individual, whether it's yourself or others, and point all towards Christ. We live in an age where mil or Christian leaders are millionaires. Was Jesus? Who did Paul follow? Follow Jesus. Jesus didn't bring things to himself. He didn't even have a house to live in, as far as we know. Town to town, place to place, meal when he, by meal, trusted God to, do, to provide. And Paul, imprisoned, shipwrecked, beaten. You see the example. Not millionaires' mansions and planes or, you know, multi-million dollar book sales or whatever. If that's, you know, if they need to account for that, we're not the judges, but I'm just putting a, a stern warning out there that that's the, what we're dealing with and we must be aware. So who looks bad when all these leaders that get put on the pedestals collapse and get exposed? And when we, when they have a motivation, when that motivation of money exists and these leaders, who knows their motivation anymore? If you're, you know, some charismatic people rise to the top and it's for money, but who, who gets hurt? Who, who takes the biggest hit? It's God and His church. So, once again, sledgehammers out, pedestals down. 
people on flat ground, God risen up. Paul with the Corinthians was dealing with a haughty people, people who had um, had so much riches and different things, and he was dealing with that with them. But so he says in verses eight through I believe thirteen. That there's, a, there's a contrast in their lives and what their lives were and what their lives should look like as Christians. As they uh, apparently had some self-glorification in their riches. But he says in verse 8, You already have what you want. You already have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would, uh, And with that you didn't reign and that we might share with the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle of the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We speak with you, or sorry, we are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and refuse and refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. So Paul and Apollos were struggling against the people, trying to follow them, trying to put them on those pedestals, and and they um, and these people needed to understand and see the state of which Paul glad and Apollos and were gladly living in, and for a purpose and for a reason. They did not want to create their own brand. They did not want the Apollos brand, the Paul brand and all these divisions and separations, their efforts were strictly towards Christ, pointed one to Christ. So again, I will ask, how are you regarded? What do they see when they see you and me? What then should the church do? If we take sledgehammers and destroy the pedestals that people are on, who then is our guide? Where do we look? Well, the answer is local discipleship, local leadership. That is the that is the design of the church. That is how it was designed and left by Jesus through the twelve disciples, their instructions, and Paul uh, obviously clearly followed that, and um, and uh, that is the example. So in verse fifteen, he says, "For through." For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, that I, as I teach them everywhere in the church. Local discipleship must happen. Paul planted, set up, trained Timothy, left Timothy to do likewise in the church and to move on. And But it was not about Timothy. 
It was not elevating Timothy in that church. Timothy was a servant of Christ. We all should be servants, not anything higher. Paul obviously had some major confidence in himself and in what he was doing, but he, as I said before, he always gave God the glory. So what does a good servant of Christ do? In 1 Timothy 4, 6-13, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of his of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily, bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this, or for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, or I'll say for any age you are in. Uh, but set the believers as an example in speech and in conduct. Love, faith, and purity until I come. Devote yourselves to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching. And then I'll skip over to Second Timothy 3, 10-11. You, whoever have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, fastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings. That is the example to follow and to do those things. So now what was Paul referring to when he said that they have countless guides and not many fathers? I really had to think about that one and look in and then it dawned on me that he was talking about his spiritual children. For when you notice when he starts letters or in different points of his letters, he will say stuff like this. This is the first Timothy. How first Timothy starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So, do we individually have spiritual offspring? That's the question. So, are we are we in the guide? Category that we're just walking beside everyone and helping and encouraging and and all going on the path, or are we taking the next step of having spiritual children of our own? You know, obviously he spoke in terms of fathers because he's a man. He can be a mother to somebody in the spiritual sense, and 
I think that's the important distinction here is that so we may have many guides the Corinthians may have had many many guides but they were lacking in the spiritual fathers when Paul went on his journeys he was a spiritual father to many but he made sure to set up spiritual guides to help them and he as the father over looked and kept tabs on his spiritual family we must do the same so there's a thing here that if we don't have spiritual offspring we have no one to look over that is not a call of any specific um, role in the church as we set up that's for everyone everyone should have a spiritual offspring maybe multiple spiritual offsprings families blooming we need to challenge each other to, to, to be having this in our lives and if we don't we have to question what is happening and sh you know I believe we should be and um, at some point in the in the path we have a lot of things that we have to get right discipleship training and going out and growing and and preaching and and growing the community we I've, I've heard thousands of times we want the church to grow we want different things to happen well maybe that's the start if we all get our own spiritual children under us and we we make sure to make that an effort to try to speak boldly not of ourselves pointing always to Christ and have a spiritual offspring of ourselves and it's not a big event that the church is going to host it's not a, a big thing that we can plan or do but it starts at the individual level meeting people where they are showing them Christ having them as spiritual children guiding them and developing a system that they are safe in the flock and and that we entrust our elders to overlook and to and that we also are their fathers and mothers in the spiritual sense so paul closes this chapter with these words what do you wish shall i come with a rod or with love of of spiritual sorry of spirit of gentleness referring to the next time he comes to corinthian to the corinth church so as i said sometimes we need the rod and we have to be willing to give it as well as receive it both in love so that our faith may increase and that is always the goal so sometimes we need to deal with love and gentleness and other times we just need that little attack let's get going that's you're not you don't you're not in the right place and you need to correct and as always it's all for Christ period as we go forth father may we uh, heed this call to the kingdom may we be those people who would uh, shine the light of your uh, love and your truth into the world around us and bring hope and peace to those people who need it by giving them the one to look to the lord jesus himself in jesus name we pray amen, amen. thank you for listening 
Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.